All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. This is Eurofolk Radio. Unable to connect with Michael today. Uh, still having audio issues from yesterday. Although the show with uh, with Dan from Georgia went very smoothly. But when I traveled from Missouri to Arkansas, something went wrong with the sound. So, But uh, I trust we're broadcasting with, uh, with the Eurofolk Radio people. And uh, also I want to start a telegram and get a telegram going as well but today's show let me put the uh, link let, let me put the link into the chat room this is a nazi introduction to the protocols and the whole purpose of accessing this article is to demonstrate that the the nazis understood that the protocols were simply part of Jewish thinking before, during, and after you know, the protocols were exposed. So there is uh, no doubt that the protocols are authentic, absolutely authentic. And this article proves it because the author gives many examples of Jewish writings that say so many things that are identical to what are in the protocols that uh, there's no doubt that, that uh, Jewish thinking along those lines uh, is uh, is authentic, all right? So or I guess I'm not going to be able to connect to Telegram. I'm probably hoping for too much. So can you hear me? Okay. So according to my settings... We are online, we're streaming, and uh, my voice is uh, being broadcast over the airwaves. Okay, very good. Thank you, Bavari man. So what we're going to do is uh, go into the Nazi introduction to the protocols. I just put the link in the chat room. And pick up where we left off pretty much last time. And the author is telling us and is giving us all kinds of examples from Jewish publications, books, newspapers, magazines, all of which confirm that the protocols are authentic, okay? So I'm just going to uh, pick it up in the paragraph that begins with, then followed a genuinely Jewish interpretation of the November revolt and a prophecy about the post-war period that, as we learned, turned out to be all too true. So a lot of the stuff that uh, Jews wrote Extra, extra protocol literature is confirmed by the protocols. So here's a quotation from this uh, article he's quoting here. We will feel bound to it, uh, the age, the editor, and the ideas guiding it. And we're talking about the Jewish age that the Jews are predicting. And with the goals for which it is striving. It will set the spirit against force, justice against power, peace between the peoples against war between the peoples. And we will know that the Jewish ethos and the Jewish pathos are at work. An age of the breakthrough of the Jewish spirit in the world comes once more. An age in which humanity moves forward to save itself. Well, we're trying to save ourselves from the Jewish spirit. How could we stand aside when other peoples are transforming? Yeah, we, we need to take advantage of all this chaos so that we can manipulate people. 
We will also experience this age in a positive and affirming way, fully aware that we are the children of the prophets, unquote. So the uh, German author here says, hidden behind these general phrases is the claim that after the work before and during the war, the future will be a Jewish age. And of course, many other authors, many Jewish authors have proclaimed that the 20th century was a Jewish age, an age of Jewish power. In the following passage, this is said openly in a way that to us leads back to the theses of the protocols. And this is from Der Jude, volume 3, 1918-1919, page 449. I think this is a compilation of uh, articles from the magazine called The Jew, Der Jude. Quote, The collapse of these three powers, Germany, Austria, Hungary, and Russia, the editor inserts these three powers, in their old form means that Jewish policy is much easier to conduct, or will be much easier to conduct. The fact that the same war that inaugurated a Jewish national policy recognized worldwide also led to the collapse of the three great powers hostile to the Jews is a unique combination of events that may give one cause to think, right? Well, who orchestrated World War I? So that the three powers that were, where the people were very much anti-Jewish, who orchestrated their collapse? The, uh, the German author continues, In truth, these facts, but also the points of the protocols we have mentioned, agree. And after this and similar statements, yet another point of the protocols is relevant. The policy of hampering the resistance of non-Jews through war and a universal world war which they have already done, okay? And so he quotes apparently from the same, oh, this is Protocol 8 now, quote, We must be in a position to respond to every act of opposition by war with the neighbors of that country which dares to oppose us. And, of course, the Axis powers, as they were called, the uh, and this was Germany, Austria, Hungary, and Russia. Russia had its own reason for getting into the war. They wanted a warm water point. The Tsar wanted a, wanted a warm water port so that his navy could access the Mediterranean and the Atlantic easily, especially during the winter, because the only other port they had were in the far north, such as St. Petersburg. So, and the Tsar wanted to be able to deploy his navy in a warm water port. So that's why the Russians got involved, and it's a huge mistake for them to get involved. And uh, Austria-Hungary, you know, was... Uh, were, the victim of the assassination of the Archduke and Germany had to honor its treaty with or its agreement with Austria to come to their aid should they get attacked. And so the assassination of the Archduke was definitely an attack. And in my opinion, he was assassinated by a, a Freemason, a Serbian Freemason. So Protocol 8 tells us that we must be prepared to organize nations against one another. I mean, who, who, what power could possibly have you know, the ability to manipulate nations into world wars? And it's obvious. Anybody who knows history knows who that power is. So, again, more proof that these protocols are authentic. So, the German author of this article continues, Those three states about whose defeat the Jewish magazine rejoices 
already had an anti-Jewish group in public life before the war that resisted the Jews. And after the war, these three countries were the first to suffer, and suffer most terribly, as hostages of Jewish communism. Okay? And I'm pretty sure the protocols... Uh, praise communism too, because, well, what is communism but total dictatorship of the Jews? Before we go into further points from the protocols from the same standpoint to see whether they were realized in post-war Germany, we must consider, because we're talking about post-World War I here, we must consider the accuracy of the statement in Der Jude that the coming age, the years after 1918, would be Jewish. The Jew, Lucian Wolff, a leader of the English Jews, had unsurpassed insight into the political activities of his racial comrades. With cynical openness, he provided an eloquent, if not exhaustive, insight into the role of the Jews in international politics after the war, particularly those who devised the peace dictate, the Treaty of Versailles. In his essay, in the Jüdische Press Centrale Zurich, so the Jewish Press of Central of Zurich, Switzerland. He states, quote, and I'm hoping he gives the, the date of this, and I realize now that I had gone into this uh, to some extent last week, so I'll just uh, quote a couple passages and then uh, give the date. I want to get the date of this uh, article. Anyway, the great progress of the second decade of the 20th century and its democratic consequence, of course, democratic means Jewish, consequences offers the possibility for a significant increase in diplomatic activity on the part of the Jews. During the war, two Jews who followed the example of those of their faith in the 16th and 17th centuries helped to defend against new attacks on Europe's freedom and the balance of power. Lord Reading and Baron Sonio brought about the Treaty of London in 1915 that dissolved the three-party pact and led to Italy's entrance into the war. Other than these two men, we Jews had no leading diplomatic representatives during the war. However, numerous Jews were quickly employed into the newly established intelligence and propaganda agencies that were part of all the foreign ministries since they possessed the traditional broad cosmopolitan vision and could speak other languages. So this is how the Jews were able to inveigle themselves into positions of authority during World War I. This is quite an admission by a Jew that this, this is how we did it. This is how we gained control of all these countries. And, of course, the peace, so-called peace of Versailles was nothing but a Jewish cosmopolitan act of total dictatorship, creating a lot of balkanized nations that could be prepared for war whenever necessary. So let me continue with the last paragraph of this long quotation here. In addition to those named above, others who should be mentioned include, among others, Judge Abram Elkus of New York, former American ambassador to Constantinople, Mark Hyman of New York, general counsel of the U.S. Shipping Board, Max D. Kuryasov, American consul in Manchuria, and the American consul Samuel Sale and Samuel Sokobin in Kalgan, China. Furthermore, there was Jacques-Georges Nunberg, First Secretary of the Polish Embassy in Bern, Switzerland, and Milan Schwartz, Southern Slavish Consul in Zurich. There were also several prominent Jews among the delegates to the League of Nations. In fact, the League of Nations was nothing but a Jewish 
the world government uh, you know, thrust because virtually every country was represented by a Jew. So you can see from this admission that Jewish power was enthroned as a result of World War I. It was planned that way because obviously World War I was staged in order for the Jews to get their filthy, grubby hands on Palestine. But you can see that the Jews had all these people in positions of power already ready to spring into action once the war started, okay? And this is exactly what's stated in the protocols, that we Jews would be able to do this with our power. So continuing with the author. After this overview of the judification of diplomacy from a professional Jewish pen, there can be no doubt that during this period, Jewish ethos and Jewish pathos, that is the Jewish ethic and Jewish passion, were at work and that the leadership of world affairs was almost entirely in the hands of the so-called children of the prophets. So here we see, when you read other Jewish works besides the protocols, they totally confirm that the authors of the Basel Switzerland Protocols, 1896, it was the World Congress of the Jews in Basel Switzerland, 1896, from which the protocols emanated, that these Jews did, in fact, have the power. They were in a position to make all this come to pass. Okay? So, let me scroll down to... The, I'm going to skip the um, the next quotation. But actually, no, I better, I better not, because it's important. During the post-war period, Germany experienced the realization of another point of the program. Quote, the Constitution as a school of party discord, okay? Oh, we have Democrats and Republicans, and we have socialists, and we have communists, and we have, what are they? Uh, uh, well, now we have homosexuals. Uh, Do the homosexuals have a party? Yeah, it's called the Democratic Party. So all the chaos that the Jews were able to create in Germany after World War I, they have instituted the same policies here in America, and the Environmental Party is here to do nothing but create uh, discord, the division, and chaos within our country. So they they have both the pro-environmental and anti-environmental parties, the Jews involved in both. So they love to tear societies apart with their behind-the-scenes string pullers, puppeteers. Quote, Liberalism replaced self-government by constitutional states which the Jews saw as their goal. Yes, liberalism is a Jewish idea. The Constitution, as you well know, is nothing but a school of discords, misunderstandings, quarrels, disagreements, fruitless party agitation, party whims, in other words, democracy. In a word, a school of everything that serves to destroy the personality of a state activity. And that's protocol number 10. This development back to the author, could already be seen at the turn of the century. The Jews had a leading role in founding all political parties, of the parties that they founded or helped to found and controlled down to the smallest detail. We will now name only the National Liberal Party, one of whose founders was the Jew Edward Lasker, the Freethinkers Party, one of whose founders was the Jew Ludwig Bamberger, the right center at the National Assembly in Frankfurt, founded and led by the baptized Jew Edward von Simpson, and finally the Democratic Party in Prussia, 
which was reorganized by the Königsberg Jew Johann Jacobi. At the same time in Vienna, we find Adolf Fischhoff, spiritus rector of the Democratic Party, who for a time during the Revolution of 1848 had the fate of Vienna in his hands as president of the security service. Now, compare this to America today under Biden with at least 18 Jewish heads of state appointed by Biden to take control of America. So, as every administration proceeds, and let me go back to the Carter administration, in which he granted the Jews their desire of having a Department of Education, which we never had before. So once the Jews got their filthy, grubby hands on our educational system, you can see that American children going to public school got dumber and dumber and dumber to the point where today they cannot even uh, pass a, 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 a math test or a speech test, or a reading test. That's how we have been dumbed down by the same protocol process that this German author is expressing right here. There's no doubt that the Jews have instituted the same process of disruption that they did in in Germany before the Nazis took power. Okay, So, so it says here, the strongest centers of Jewry's corrupting power are the two Marxist parties. And this, of course, we're talking about post-World post -war, post War I Germany. In the history of the General German Workers' Union, led by Jew Ferdinand LaSalle, okay? So the, the German Workers' Party was run by a Jew. One can note that the Social Democrats and the Communist Party have the same father, Karl Marx Mordecai, quote, his spirit found a direction that forever overcame all supernatural forces by which these Jews mean God, because he showed how they were bound to the physical world. Without realizing it himself, he became in his deepest self a Jew in tradition of the prophets. Of course, they're saying the, uh, that this is the new Jewish Monatschefte, the new Jewish monthly, dated uh, 25 4, 1918. Not only was a theoretician and founder of Marxism a Jew, but a Jew, but Jews are also the best known Marxist practitioners whose deeds will forever be among the most terrible atrocities in history. Again, so the author is quoting all these other Jewish publications that prove that communism is Jewish, that the New World Order is Jewish, that the protocols are Jewish, etc., etc. Okay. Continuing, George Herman, the author of the well-known novel Yetchen Gebert, well, it was well-known in those days, was fully aware of the significance of his words that he directed to his racial comrades in a Jewish magazine. In another work from the same time directed to the broader public of the German people, his Ran Bemerkungen, Berlin 1919, he presented himself as an opponent of nationality, of nationalism. And in a statement directed to the Germans, wrote, quote, We must finally learn to put humanity above nationality. All right? Barbara, Lerner, Spectre, anybody? It's all happening all over again on a global scale. World War I was the initial Jewish thrust to control the white world, the white Christian world. 
Continuing, at the same time as he glorifies Jewish communist murderers like Trotsky and Bela Kuhn in a Jewish magazine as real leaders of modern Jewry, he tries in another work to take away from the German readership its faith in its great men. Quote, Humanity would be better had it never known its great statements, generals, and rulers. Without great men and without great ages, it would have been much better off. Socially and culturally, it would be 5,000 years ahead. And he's speaking, well, the Jews would be 5,000 years ahead. Okay, so the Jews always speak in utopian terms for us, speaking, you know, we would be much better off if we had all these Jewish leaders. And the fact is, they've had all these Jewish leaders for now a century and a quarter, and actually even longer than that, as this document proves, that... uh, Jewish power behind the scenes, which is international and anti-national at the same time, is the true leadership of this planet. Okay, And as Paul said, Satan is the prince of this world. And we're looking, uh, the, the Jews are declaring themselves the rulers of this world. That is only one brief example of of many that provides a look at the school of discord that the Protocols proposes as a means to the end. The Marxist Jews promoted class struggle within the people, subverted national powers of resistance and public morality, while intellectual Jews who pretended to be nonpartisan saw to it that Jewish unity was preserved. This wicked double game that praised Jewish Marxist atrocities on the one hand while subverting and weakening non-Aryan peoples by inciting one group against, uh, well, by weakening Aryan peoples as well, by inciting one group against another through carefully prepared slogans is well founded in the plan found in the protocols. One can take the following passages and translate them from the language of the turn of the century into that of the post-war period. Quote, and this is protocol number 15. They have never yet, and they never will have the sense to reflect that this dream of equality is a manifest violation of the most important law of nature. The Jews don't believe in equality, but they promote it for our benefit, which has established from the very creation of the world that one creature is unlike another, and that personality plays a decisive role. And Hitler, wow, Hitler was a personality that was trying to play a decisive role. If we have been able to blind them in this way, it is amazingly clear proof that their minds in no way measure up to ours. That is the guarantee of our success, unquote. So we Jews are so much smarter than you, Goyim, that you don't have a chance to fight against us. Well, yeah, we don't have a chance if we don't know who they are and who we're fighting against. So this reminds me of the current, uh, what's going on in sports. The Jews are trying to promote their discord in every area of life by inserting homosexuals and transgenders into the sports world and and, uh, into the world of beer drinking, right? Into the commercials promoting a a transgender guy trying to promote Bud Light. That's backfiring. There is a a pushback against Bud Light. There's a pushback now against uh, Target. Targets have been trying to sell transgender clothing for babies, if you haven't heard about that. And so all this is promoted by the Jews. The Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team is trying to promote a a really degenerate group of transvestites 
who uh, calling themselves the Sisters of per- Perpetual Indulgence, insulting Catholics and insulting Yahshua Messiah and the the Los Angeles Dodgers are promoting this smut-filled group of degenerates who go around, men dressed as women, okay, and performing, doing performances at various sports venues. Two Dodgers pitchers have come out against this and say, this is not what baseball is about. You shouldn't be promoting these transgenders in, in the sports world. This is not what sports is all about. So there's a pushback there. So, folks, I'm really hoping that this pushback, uh, when when Christians come out and publicly declare the opposition to it and risk their careers as pitchers, two Dodgers pitchers, Clay, uh, Kershaw is one of them, come out against this, this smut-filled hate group of a- anti-Christians called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, right? I guess they indulge every sexual fantasy they have. And, and totally heap a praise and uh, uh, smear and scorn against not just the Catholic Church but Christianity, and the Dodgers organization knows this. And uh, I, I was informed by one person that the Dodgers head of uh, personnel is in fact a homosexual, so you can see what's going on. And we're experiencing the protocols right, right here, right now. Okay. So let's continue. And he quotes now protocol number three. The word freedom plunges human society into a battle against all powers, against the power of God and that of nature. Now this, of course, these are the learned elders of Zion making this declaration. When we sit on the throne, we will erase this word from the human vocabulary, namely freedom, because it is the very principle of brute force that turns the masses into bloodthirsty beasts of prey. So what have they done to us? What have they done to the white race? What have they done to Christianity in the last century and a quarter? They have turned us into apathetic lumps on a log, couch potatoes, dumbing us down and turning Christianity into a Jesus-loves-everybody form of Futile non-resistance, non-resistance, and the political parties are non-resistant. The political parties do the will of the international Jew as well as uh, the, the last slew of presidents we've had, from Carter down to the current Biden-esque uh, theater, Jewish theater of political power, and that includes Trump, folks. I'm sorry to say that includes Trump because he's the one who promoted the jab. And he also went to Israel and put a yarmulke on and banged his head against the wailing wall, as all American presidents have had to do in the last uh, the last 50, 60 years. All right? So let's continue. So these beasts, it is true, fall asleep after they have enjoyed their blood and can then easily be chained If they are not given blood, however, they do not sleep, but rather fight. The protocol number three. In other words, we will stage wars for our own purposes, and the goyim will do our bidding without realizing it. Or, from protocol 10, quote, It is from us that all engulfing terror proceeds, unquote. Fear. They manipulate our people by creating fearful episodes such as COVID and war. 
And the author continues, Could the theory and practice of the Jewish rulers of Russia and the common turn during the post-war period, and which they are doing today in Spain, be better expressed than they were at the turn of the century? So once you understand that the Jews are the power behind the protocols and the protocols are authentic and being implemented in the world today and have been since World War I, it becomes very clear what's going on in the world. It would go beyond the bounds of this introduction were we to spend more time on the Jewish policies of the Marxist parties or list the actions and statements of the Jews that prove and justify the historical accuracy of the citations from the protocols. Let us compare another thesis from the protocols with historical facts. Regarding Jewish domination of the press, it says, quote, Protocol 12, No news will reach the public without our approval. We have already practically reached this goal. Since the news from the entire world flows through a few news agencies, where they are processed and only then sent out to the individual editorial boards, agencies, etc. That's protocol number 12. The author continues, The extent to which the source of the international press system was judified, even during the pre-war period, is proven by looking at the three leading world press agencies. All three were founded by Jews, and the two that survive today are still fully judified. The French Agence Havas was founded by the Jew Charles Louis Havas, and the English Reuters by Josephat Beer, B-E-E-R, the son of a rabbi who later added the name Reuter, while the now-defunct Wolf Telegraph Agency in Germany was the work of the Jew Bernhard Wolf. The extent to which Jewry used the power of the press to serve Jewish interests is clear from an editorial in the magazine Der Jude, which was published before the end of the war. It threatened the German government with Jewish world power, and he quotes, quote, We have a leading role in the international press, in international finance, and in economic life. We influence public opinion. We are an important factor in establishing international attitudes, and something very important, we are represented everywhere. We are truly a unique international people, spread over every land, active in every aspect of politics, and of immeasurable value to anyone who wishes to be our ally, unquote. Well, I guess the Goyim are lining up to be their allies, their fully paid allies, are they not? Closely bound to the press was Jewish influence in Germany's intellectual and cultural life. Jewry had no limits here during the post-war period, able to fully realize the thesis, that is, the Weimar Republic folks, and America and Europe are now fully Weimarized, as we are seeing in the world. These able to fully realize the thesis in the protocols about subversive activity in this field, and he quotes Protocol 9, we have stupefied, misled, and corrupted non-Jewish youth. We base their education on false principles and doctrines, whose falsity we knew well, but which we nonetheless used, unquote. The, the Frankfurt School of Jews who came to America to direct education here in America, starting with, of course, the colleges. Starting with the colleges, and folks, this is 
being realized. This protocol is being realized, has been realized for the last century and a quarter. The author continues, The reader cannot be spared the results of this. Evidence in the defense of immoral and obscene literature by writers whom the Jews considered great and important members of their race. They fought the law against immoral and obscene literature, claiming that it was necessary to the intellectual life of the nation and particularly for the education of the youth. They praised it accordingly. The Berliner Tageblatt, the Berliner Daily, at the time a purely Jewish newspaper proclaimed by the Jews to be Germany's leading international newspaper, just as the New York Times here in America, wrote the following about the battle over the law, which ultimately passed despite Jewish influence. Quote, Obscenity is absolutely necessary for the youth. Maiden ants argue the fantasy that young boys and girls are corrupted by obscene literature. In reality, however, the fantasies of young people are going through puberty are rather obscene. And these fantasies need obscene literature to redirect their arousal in harmless ways. Yeah, harmless. If one takes obscene literature away from the youth, the number of youthful sex crimes would increase tremendously. <laughs> really? So, it's, uh, they're saying if, uh, if you don't smoke marijuana, you won't get hooked. <laughs> well, if, so, or if you don't smoke marijuana, you will get hooked. They have it both ways. The outlet would be closed. The inner pressure would have destructive. This is Freudian garbage, folks. Freudian argumentation here. The outlet would be closed. The inner pressure would have destructive effects. You know, the repression argument, which was still fully in effect in the 1950s and 60s. I remember it very well. The Jews were arguing, oh, Christianity is a repressive society. You have to, you have to express your sexual fantasies in the real world to be healthy. That's, that's the Jewish argument, folks. Obscene literature means as much, even more to the youth than dirty jokes to adults. What would become of all the fine citizens, gentlemen, and workers who exchange dirty jokes at pubs, bowling clubs, or gentlemen's evenings if one closed off that outlet? In other words, you have to promote obscenity. You have to promote pornography. What filthiness would they do if they could no longer talk about filthiness? Well, because it's a ridiculous argument. From the Berliner Tageblatt of 1-12-1926. The Jews used every means to oppose this law. The Jew Willy Haas's Literische Welt, the literary world, which otherwise had no interest in Germandom across our borders, saw Germans abroad as a way around the law. The Jew Heinrich Edward Edward Jacob proposed the following plan, and we quote, The Index Liborum Prohibitorum. This law will establish as valid only for the territory of the Reich. What is the sense of establishing censorship for 60 million German readers when there are 90 million of them? The law does not encompass the purely German population of Austria, Switzerland, or northern Bohemia. It does not encompass the Baltic Germans, those in Alsace or Luxembourg, Danzig or Upper Silesia. The law is so weak that to give only a few examples, energetic action by three foreign German newspapers, the Neue Freie Presse in Vienna and the Neue Zürcher Zeitung and the Prager Tageblatt could render it lame. And the Jews control all those newspapers, right? So they're simply scoffing at the German censorship law. 
Will these newspapers do anything? Be assured they will. They will do it because of their German past, because of their liberal tradition, and for another reason. Yeah, because the Jews control these newspapers. And the German author continues, Today we must grant that these German-language Jewish newspapers abroad did their duty under Jakob's plan in an exemplary way. So too did the Jewish writer Franz Versel, who wrote in the Literische Welt, the literary world, that he became a member of the Academy of Literature only so that he could use it as official authority to fight this dreadful law against obscenity and immorality, right? So they openly state in their Jewish newspapers. Now, the question is, were these newspapers published exclusively in Yiddish or in German also? Not sure about that. With more force than he otherwise would have. And certainly the Yiddish newspapers in Europe and America openly proclaimed their scorn of Christian, white Christian society. Clear evidence of the satanic battle opposing the protection of German youth from obscenity and trashy literature, from moral corruption and moral destruction, is clear from the behavior of the Jews in Bern, and of course that's Switzerland, and all of their racial comrades in the battle against the protocols of the elders of Zion. They misused the law on movie theaters and measures against immoral literature, against a publication that in no way injured moral sensibilities, even if it said something painful for the Jews. Well, if you criticize the Jews, that is obscene according to the Jews, but everything else is okay. This will make clear to any reasonable person the duplicity and dishonesty of Jewry. They used every means to morally corrupt non-Jewish youth during the post-war period by fighting the law against trashy and obscene literature. After Jewish world power had been shaken by the National Socialist Revolution, however, a similar law in the canon of Bern was good enough to prevent the unmasking of Jewish world power. We do not here need to discuss, and I think uh, you know they were, the article was previously discussing how the Jews tried to uh, proclaim and uh, uh, file a suit against the publishers of the uh, the translations of the the Basel Protocols. Okay, and so. This was their attempt to stifle discussion of the protocols and comparing them to what the Jews actually do in the real world. So let me restart this paragraph over. Clear evidence of the satanic battle opposing the protection of German youth from obscenity and trashy literature, from moral corruption and moral destruction, is clear from the behavior of the Jews in Bern and all of their racial comrades in the battle against the protocols of the elders of Zion, that lawsuit that was referenced earlier in this article. They misused the law on movie theaters and measures against immoral literature against the publication that in no way injured moral sensibilities, even if it sounds something painful for the Jews. And he's referring to the publication uh, by the, the, the Swiss publishers. This will make clear to any reasonable person the duplicity and dishonesty of, the, of Jewry. So they were proclaiming, oh, well, the publication of the protocols is immoral. So in no way have anything the Jews done to promote morality for the world, ever. Okay, but they the, the suit against the protocols was that they were immoral. They used every means to morally corrupt non-Jewish youth during the post-war period by fighting the law against trashy literature. We do not here need to discuss in detail the Judification of theatrical life, 
particularly the Judification of the Berlin stage, which and it was like uh, Tijuana, Mexico, with every possible you know, sexual perversion going on on stage. A report from one of the few newspapers from that time that dared to oppose the evil spirit of the almost entirely Jewish theater directors had this to say about the theater calendar at the time. It gives us a picture of the Jewish stamp on the holidays of the period, a mockery of everything German and Christian that had not been possible up to that time. Need I remind you? That this is going on in America right now with all the transgenderism, with homosexuality, with race mixing. Just look at the ads on television and radio. Everything is totally corrupting white Christian society. It can't get much worse, folks. And we haven't even talked about uh, child molestation and you know, sexual uh, Sexual operations, transgender operations paid for by the state, by Jewish doctors, by promotion by Jews all over the world now. Totally destroying our physical bodies. Can it get much worse, ladies and gentlemen? The warnings we have been giving you here at Eurofolk Radio must be heeded. Must be heeded. H-E-E-D-E-D, heated, and maybe heated, H-E-A-T-E-D, we have to turn the heat up against the Jews. That's only power we have, and, and Yahshua is expecting this from us. We have to make our white Christian brethren aware that this is what's going on, and we have to be bold about it. So, we're continuing. We had a very good meeting in uh, Branson yesterday where we openly talked about this. And, and and more and more people, we're doing our best to awaken people to the Jewish problem. It must be discussed publicly. We, as Henry Ford said, name the Jew. Name the Jew. Okay? And so, our people, the Christian identity people of the world, must, must make uh, the rest of the world aware of, of the authenticity of the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. So I encourage everybody in the chat room to share this article with everybody you know. Print it out. It's not a very long article. Print it out and show it to people who are scoffers of the protocols. And here's the evidence, folks. Here's the evidence that the protocols are genuine. And it it doesn't take a lot to print this out and shove it under the nose of a Judeo-Christian. And we don't have to talk about, you don't have to talk about the Holocaust. (laughs) That'll come later, right? Once they understand that the protocols are legitimate Jewish literature and they spill the beans, of course, it had to be translated from whatever language. It was probably in, in Hebrew. It was translated first into Russian and then into English. And this, uh, and probably also German, because the Bern, Switzerland had to be German. So we have all this evidence from other Jewish literature that the protocols are authentic. And the moral perversion of the Jews in disrupting and corrupting our youth is the number one method by which they destroy white Christian society. Okay, so let's continue. So he talks now about how the Jews corrupted German society in the Weimar Republic. And this is from the Deutsches Volkstum, uh, the sound, the, the 
German voice, the voice of the German people, number 20, number three, quote, the Lessing Theater is producing Shaw. We think highly of Shaw, but for Christmas? The donkeys at the Künstler Theater dug up Sardou. The Deutsche Theater for Christmas is giving us Beer Hoffman's Zionist play, Jacob's Dream. The Kammerspiel is doing Wedekind's Fühlingswachen in the afternoon, and these are probably smutty Jewish plays. In the evening, more Strindberg. Das Kleine Theater is doing das Unberührte Weib, the, uh, the, uh, the undisturbed uh, wife, by the Kitschy Pole Sapolka. To improve the attendance, the actresses are half naked. Das Kleine Schauspielhaus is doing Strindberg. Das Theater an der Königstrasse is performing, of all things, Wedekind's Schloss Wetterstein. And he's just writing the titles. I have no idea. But there got to be smutty Jewish plays. The Residence Theater was at least honestly unashamed. It celebrated Christmas with the bordello drama Echen Humrecht. Long live the theater director who earns money following the principles of the bordellos, Madam. The Tribune is not only presenting Vedekind's Franziska, but more... Uh, what's the uh, movie... Uh, the Jews promoted a Hollywood movie about the perversions of Berlin, Berlin theater, which was all run by Jews. Okay. But of course, that movie did not promote the, uh, reveal the fact that these smutty plays were staged by Jews. Long live the theater director who earns money following the principle of the Bordello's madam. Of course, didn't they create Las Vegas for the same purpose? The Tribune is not only presenting Wittekind's Francisca, but more importantly has the whole theatrical whore, Wohan, stark naked on stage behind a thin veil. Is it hateful for us to say in, com in combating this witch's Sabbath during the Christmas season that Jewish theater directors are responsible for these monstrosities? Unquote. The Deutsche Volksvoice, num number three, 1920. So you can see the battle for the white Christian mind began in Germany during the Weimar Republic. And so little is discussed about the Weimar Republic and the fact that the Weimar Republic has been repeated here in America. The author continues. In the reviews produced exclusively by Jews during the post-war period, the destruction of family life and above all marriage reached its epitome. We content ourselves here with an overview of the titles of some of these Jewish products. Undress, On and Off, Beautiful and Chic, Damn, A Thousand Women, A Thousand Naked Women, Strictly Forbidden, The Sins of the World, Sinful and Sweet. And we add the text of the poster for the James Klein Review, Undress. Here's the poster review, and it's called Undress. 8.15, Komische Oper, a strange opera. James Klein's powerful new review show, Undress, an evening without morality in 30 scenes, with 60 prize-winning nude models. The hunt for beautiful women. Now remember, the Weimar Republic was being starved to death 
by Jewish moneylenders at this point, hyperinflating the money supply while all this is going on. So they were pauperizing the German people, and German women had no choice but to sell their bodies or be, expose themselves on the Jewish stage in order to survive and eat. What are they doing to us? They're destroying our economy globally, folks. They're reinstituting the Weimar Republic as we speak. Experience with a 15-year-old. The huge heavenly bed. This is the program for this play, folks. The woman with the whip, sunshine, and naked magic. Living bells and living flowers and 20 more scenes. Original Paris Review costumes. Parkett. 450 balcony. Okay, okay, so I guess Parkett is the main floor and balcony 350. So it's four marks, 50, uh, 50 cents for the main uh, floor and the balcony is three marks 50. Advanced sales after 10 a.m. Now remember, the hyperinflation was going on at this time as well, so the price could increase by the afternoon. And the author tells us now, how much Jewry not only tried to scuttle the law against immoral literature and obscenity, but was also actively involved in pornographic films of the worst sort showing them by the titles of a selection of films of Jewish origin. And here is just a sample of the titles. How Pure and Beautiful Women Fall, The Right of Free Love, Lou the Coquette, Sinful Blood. These are just the titles, folks. In the Clutches of Sin, The Daughter of the Prostitute, Those Who Sell Themselves, and Those Who Live from Love, The Courage to Sin, Paragraph 175, Different than the Others, Paragraph 218, Abortion, Paragraph 182, under the age of consent, okay, they love to promote sex with children. Isn't that happening again today in America, openly? Wake up, white Christian. Lily's path to prostitution. Folks, this article needs to be promoted worldwide among the white race. Get it into the hands of white people now. Download it. I put, I'll paste it in the chat room when I post this recording today. It's already pasted from last week's show. And get your hands on this, download it, or just print it off the Internet. That's all you have to do is you can print it right off the Internet. And the, the link is already in the chat room. So this is how the Jews promote degeneracy, uh, filth, you name it debauchery, and race mixing in white society, white Christian society. Let's continue. Those were just the titles of some of these plays and movies that they produced. Closely bound to the propaganda for pimps and prostitution, which was pressed by the Jews on Germans with a persistence that makes it clear that it was by no accident. Closely bound to that is Jewish propaganda for race mixing, promoted to our people through fashion and the press. An essay by the Jew Claire Goll, G-O-L-L, illustrates the ways the Jews sought to realize their slogan of the equality of all who have a human face. It concerned the niggerification of Europe, in which in a way revealed the general staff plan of the Jews, showing how they used fashion to advance their in instinctual goal of corrupting their host people. 
Quote, In New York, the Negroes have their hair straightened. The whites want curls, Negro hair. That goes well with dark-colored skin. The new fashion of brown skin. When one gets to the point where the skin of Negroes can be whitened, racial differences will happily disappear. This will benefit and bless old-fashioned-looking white humanity, unquote. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been a tremendous blessing, hasn't it? From the Berliner Tageblatt, the, Ber- uh, the Berlin Daily, number 489 of 1610-1928. Furthermore, and also an explanation as to why the debasement of the host people is the prerequisite of Jewish rule, Consider the opinion of the Jew Kurt Minzer, taken from his book Der Weg nach Zen, The Way to Zion. Quote, We Jews are not the only ones debased and at the end of a worn-out culture that has been sucked dry. All the races of Europe have corrupted their blood as we have. Really? I don't think that was happening yet. In the 20th century, yeah, the Kudenhof Kalurger plan, another Jew, a Jew who was part Oriental, Perhaps we infected their blood. <laughs> oh, perhaps, perhaps, he says. He's blasé about it. Everything today is Judified. Our essence is in everything living. Our spirit rules the world. We are the masters. What has power today is our intellectual child. We can no longer be driven out. We have overcome the races, corrupted them, broken their strength. Everything is worn out, rotten, and decayed because of our culture. Our spirit can no longer be exterminated. Unquote. Kurt Minzer, Their Way to Zion, 1910. Well, this is what Paul says in Second. Uh, oh, what what book is it? Second Thessalonians, chapter two, that the Antichrist stands exposed just before the coming of Christ, just before the second coming, the Antichrist will be exposed, sitting with power, declaring himself to be uh, the the world power that nobody can be uh, capable of overcoming. Let me repeat the statement because, and then uh, let me, if I have time, I'll go into Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And we see the Jews openly declaring that they are masters of the world. And now again, he doesn't. The author doesn't tell us whether this is um, Yiddish literature or whether these papers are published in the languages of the nations that they're published in. That would be uh, good information to have because the Jews hide their uh, hide their thoughts and opinions in Yiddish in many of these newspapers. So the author tells us, such Jewish subversive activity is per- that is particularly directed toward the non-Jewish youth proves clearly that the Jews have acted consistently with the cited passage from the Protocols. Along these lines, we may not forget the propaganda for pacifism that Jews such as Kurt Tucholsky, alias Peter Panter, Theobald Tiger, Ignaz Robel, and Kasper Hauser, a lot of aliases there, used throughout history to break the will of the people to defend itself. The following citations from Tchaikovsky's pamphlets reveal... Oh, are you reminded of Screw magazine by a Jewish pornographer? And even it turned out that Playboy Hugh Hefner was Jewish. Okay? The Jews promote... They're the masters of this type of literature. 
The following citations from Tchaikovsky's pamphlets reveal the aggressive and combative tone that he used to attempt to win over the always active and battle-ready German youth to his pacifism. Of course, pacifism in the form of debauchery. Although he never was at the front, he had these clear words to say about his conduct during world, the World War. Quote, I shirked the war for three and a half years, however I could. That is, he avoided getting uh, drafted, apparently. And I regret that I did not have the courage to say no and refuse military service, like the great Karl Nieblach, another Jew, who did. refuse, And he was a communist. He and Rosa Luxemburg were the ones who overthrew the German state, trying to impose communism right after World War One. And it was only the German veterans who ousted uh, Liebknecht and Luxembourg out of Germany and prevented a, a communist overthrow of Germany, which Russia could not prevent. He said, I am ashamed of that. I should have refused. Uh, so he's praising Karl Liebknecht, the, the so-called German Jewish communist. I did what many others did, using every way I could to find to avoid being shot at and having to shoot, unquote. That's from his pamphlet number five. He built his own treasonous ideology. Quote, what judges call treason does not bother us, and what they call high treason is for us not dishonorable. We are left cold by what they call perjury, destruction of documents, and breach of peace, unquote. Deutschland, Deutschland über alles is the title of the pamphlet. So he's, uh, he's probably mocking that phrase, Deutschland über alles. If that were not enough, he calls for direct acts of treason. Quote, for us pacifists, pacifism is nothing but a Jewish tactic. If required to preserve the peace of Europe, if demanded by our consciences, and I am fully aware of that, what I'm saying, there is no German military secret that I would not give to a foreign power if it seemed necessary to preserve peace. So how many Jewish Israeli spies has America had to put up with? Treason after treason after treason, and they are not prosecuted. There's only one Jewish spy. Uh, I can't think of his name now. He was put away. Uh, yeah, what's his name? Howard, Pollard, yes, Pollard, Pollard, number one Jewish spy that was put away. Oh, yeah, and then we had the uh, Rosen, Rosenbergs, you know, who were put to death for giving atomic secrets to the Soviet Union. But very, very few of these Jewish spies have been prosecuted. Are you listening, America? We are, we are being Weimarized as we speak. We are being Weimarized and the Jews are laughing at us the way they are debauching our youth and actually killing our youth and performing ridiculous operations on their bodies, which have the effect of making them infertile. Okay, it's just another. And Bill Gates is jabbing. He's another Jew. Okay, the Jews have achieved world power. And they are telling us there is nothing you Goyim can do about it. Next quotation by the same person in an uh, article or leaflet entitled Weltbühne. Quote, we are traitors, but we betray a state that we renounce in favor of a land that we love. 
for peace and for our real fatherland, Europe. Well, they, they claim to own Europe, right? Well, maybe he's an Ashkenazi, <laughs> right? Oh, by the way, uh, there's a war going on in Ashkenazi land right now you, between Ukraine and Russia. Do you think that's a staged war too? A war staged by the Jews? And our Nazi author continues, Hand in hand, with that go filthy insults against German soldiers who fought at the front and the constantly repeated charge that Germany was the one guilty for the war. Tucholsky wrote in Freiheit, that is freedom, about Hindenburg in 1922, quote, We reject the head of the supreme command of the army, this German underestimation commission. We reject a completely unsuitable person who still today has not understood what happened under his orders. And we greet with regret and shame the Belgian widows and orphans whose husbands and fathers were murdered back then, cited by Deutsches Volksam. So, yeah, he's, he's putting the blame for World War I on the German people who had nothing to do with it, and Germany was the last country to get involved in that war. It's a Jewish war, folks. But he says openly, we are traitors. Tukolsky was not the only Jew who thought that way, as is proven by an essay by the Viennese Jew Alfred Polgar in the Berliner Tagebuch, the Berliner Daily, of 1922. He wrote this about the Germans of 1914. Cattle are cattle. Animals about to be slaughtered have no idea what is coming. The proof of that was brought en masse when the war began. They cheered in the streets. Heads high, those that would fall to the axe, unquote. Yeah, we praise our our molesters, namely the international Jews, as God's chosen people, don't you know? They are laughing at us, folks, and mocking us, insulting our Lord and Savior, Yahshua Messiah, in an unabashed, you know, open way. But we can't criticize a Jew if we use a quote-unquote anti-Semitic term. They will file suit against us and drag it, make our lives miserable just for uttering an anti-Jewish word. Yet they can criticize us up and down and they can mock our Savior at will without having to face the, a hate speech crime or a hate speech charge. For 15 years, the Jews in Germany followed the protocols of the elders of Zion in a striking way, working to stifle the will of German youth to fight. They did this not only in magazines and pamphlets, but also in university lecture halls. On 1st April 1933, there was a total of 1,066 Jewish professors at, Ju at German universities. They spread the poison on pacifism, of pacifism and a contempt for German heroism of people like Gumbel's, Lessings, and their comrades. The reader must realize that such treasonous statements in word and image were not prohibited because the governmental press office in Prussia was in the hands of the Jews. In Prussia in 1930, the press was under the patronage of Jewish Secretary of State Dr. Weissmann with his subordinate superior counsel Glossar as press secretary for the Prussian government and senior counsel Dr. Heifer as his deputy, counselor Dr. Weichmann as press secretary in the Prussian Department of State, Dr. Hirschfeld as press secretary in the Prussian Interior Ministry, 
The same was true for the Reich Federation of the Press, headed by the Jew George Bernhardt. The same was true in the Protective Federation for German Writers, which had the following leaders in 1928. So uh, you want to talk about Hollywood and the Jews who control Hollywood and the garbage they've been producing, the so-called movies? The only good thing I have to say about the current circumstances is there is pushback. All of a sudden, there's pushback against against what's happening, against all the smut and degeneracy and debauchery that's happening in our society right now. But they still don't know who the source of all this smut and, and debauchery is and war. But it is slowly eking out, slowly, painfully slowly, where Jew savviness, awareness of the Jew and the Jewish program is slowly eking out. So here are the leaders. The Protective Federation of German Writers, Chairman Walter von Molo, a non-Jew. Vice Chair Arnold Zweig, Jew. First Secretary Paul Gutmann, Jew. Assistant Secretary Frau Adele Schreiber-Krieger, Jew. Treasurer Dr. Leon Zeitlin, Jew. Assistant Treasurer Dr. Theodor Boner, non-Jew. Board members Erich Baron, Jew. Johannes R. Becker, non-Jew. Robert Breuer, Jew. Dr. Max Derry, Jew. Dr. Annie Yacker, Jew. Sami Groneman, Jew, Egon Erwin Kish, Jew, Dr. Alfred Kuhn, non-Jew, Bruno Schönlang, Jew, Paul Westheim, Jew. So you see the Jews have their lackeys working with them, and they're, they're the ones that push out in the public so they don't see the hook nose and snake-eyed face. Another column in the account of the Jewish deeds is the propaganda for the abolition of paragraph 175 of the legal code which penalized homosexuality. This, too, was demanded by the Protocols as a way of corrupting non-Jewish youth. The Jew Magnus Hirschfeld had worked in this area long before the war. He created the, quote, Scientific Humanitarian Committee, unquote, an organization, oh, trust the science, right? Trust the science of COVID. Of course, there is no science. It's all unscientific. The Scientific Humanitarian Committee, an organization of homosexuals that spread throughout Germany, as his papers clearly prove. Even before the turn of the century, it had offices in Berlin, Hamburg, Munich, and the Rhineland. These cells recruited doctors, attorneys, and even clergymen who supported the Jewish Hirschfeld and gathered lists of names for petitions to relevant government offices. So, how easy is it to corrupt white Christian society? when Christians are totally asleep and or apathetic. I think it was another Jew who said, when we Jews started to control white Christian society, we couldn't believe how easy it was. We couldn't believe how easy it was. Folks, we're too easy. We've got to start getting tough on these Jews and confront them and confront them. Let's continue. During the post-war period, this organization that was founded and led by Jews had absolute freedom, just as the Jewish press has absolute freedom today. They get away with everything. Their ads are just ridiculous. They're pro-homosexual. They're pro-roast mixing. They're pro-war if the war suits them. There was a press for homosexuals 
and in one of their periodicals, Friendship, the following sentences could appear unhindered without in any way being restricted by the Constitution. Quote, the homosexuals. These people hope that over the years the government and people will finally realize that the legal paragraph should be eliminated and that all Germans should enjoy the same rights, unquote. Thus, Freundschaftblatt, the friendship uh, paper, 1928 number. Four. Are you seeing it happening here in America right now, folks? Are you seeing it? Besides that public mockery of the German people, the Jew Willy Haas's Literische Welt, the literary world, printed the following propaganda for homosexuality between women on the occasion of the Max Reinhard Goldman's premiere of Gefangenen, that is, the captives, by Bourdais, which treated homosexuality, quote, Two men speak in one scene about a lesbian drama that presumably takes place behind the scenes. When we will see, finally see, a play in which this love itself, its uniqueness, its psychology, its different language, the dialogue of an eroticism foreign to men, receives serious literary treatment, above all the hopeless alienation of man against the, this unapproachable, incomprehensible relationship, that would certainly be new material for our theater, which needs new material. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've got it today. It's called Hollywood, folks. All the perversions of the Weimar Republic have been recreated here in America, especially in Hollywood, in New York City, the perverted press, the perverted theater, the perverted stage, all run by Jews and their imitators. We are experiencing it all again today, folks. The Weimar Republic is here again. And we are experiencing it big time. So again, I, I can't stress enough. This this article is very important. I, I ask all to print it out and share it with your friends and show them the reality of Judaism, what Judaism really is. So let's continue. We have about 15 minutes left, and we will, I think, have time to address Second Thessalonians chapter 2 at the end, because it predicts this. <laughs> it predicts this development. So let's see, continue. Closely connected to the battle against paragraph 175, which was a, a, a moral, an anti-homosexual part of the law, is a subversive Jewish effort against paragraph 218, which forbids abortion. Here, too, the Jew Magnus Hirschfeld was a leader in a crime against the German people. And, of course, Jews have been prominent in the abortion movement here in America. Bill Gates' father was head of Planned Parenthood for a while. And, of course, Bill Gates is just, he's just created another way to kill white people with the abortion pill, the jab. That's all that jab is about, folks, is to kill white people. From the countless articles by Jewish authors, not to mention the actual crimes of Jewish doctors against budding life, we mention only the following, quote, Abortion or Birth Control by Dr. Martha Rubin Wolf. Durham Gagan 218, The Storm Against Paragraph 218 by Dr. Friedrich Wolf. Hindersagen, Fruchtverhütung, Fruchtabtreibung. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Frucht is uh, youth. 
uh, you know, their activities against against children, probably in a disguised form, by Dr. Fritz Bruchbacher, Empfangsverhütung by Magnus Hirschfeld. This, of course, these are all Jews. This overview of the culturally and morally subversive influence of the Jews is only a brief summary of the available material on several important points. It is enough to show that each point of the protocols of the elders of Zion about the corruption of non-Jewish youth and the destruction of non-Jewish youth through abortion and infanticide has been more than fulfilled. The best way to measure the practical effects of this attack on the existence of a healthy German nation is to consider the judification of the medical and legal professions. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, we know that about that. They're total corruption of our court system, folks the latter of which is always ready to defend its racial comrades of other professions in court. In Berlin, the percentage of non-Aryan physicians on October 1, 1933, was 52.2%. This at a time when some Jews had already left Germany. The percentage for attorneys of, as of April 1, 1933, was 50.9%. On 30 January 1933, 28.4% of Berlin's judges and 15.1% of its state's attorneys were of Jewish descent. Can you, Do you smell the, the same thing happening in America? Each point of the protocols could be handled in the same way. In Germany alone, there is enough material from the post-war period to prove the accuracy of the statements collected in the protocols of the elders of Zion. We will not cover further points simply because it would take far more space than is available in this introduction. To examine some statements in the protocols would require lengthy historical research. Other statements would require specialized scientific methods. And, of course, the history books have been sanitized of Jewish influence by the Jews because whoever wins the war writes the history books. In closing, however, we want to give just one more example of the Jewish hope for absolute world domination that always surfaces in Jewish literature and essays. The Old Jewish Hatred of the Goyim familiar from the Talmud and the Shulchan Aruch, and in Jewish history from ancient times, is brought up to the modern era in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. As I have stated on other shows about the Protocols, the Protocols simply are a summary of the Talmud, where it receives a political discussion of opportunities and prospects. This Jewish hatred, the Genesis 3.15, folks, this Jewish hatred is manifested anew each day in the private lives of individual Jews. This form of Jewish hatred was especially expressed in novels during the post-war period, such as Der Weg nach Zen, the, the Way to Zion, by Kurt Minzer, and Arthur Landsberger's novel, Asians. The American Jew Samuel Roth gives a classic example of the private expression of, well, they say Yahweh, no, the Jews don't worship Yahweh, they hate Yahweh and Yahshua, with a vengeance, but they pretend to. The expression of Yahweh's revenge on non-Jews in his book, Now and Forever. It takes the form of a dialogue, and there's a link here to that book. It takes the form of a dialogue between him and I, Zangwill. Israel Zangwill was the one who promoted race mixing here in America in his writings. Reichsleiter Alfred Rosenberg discussed it in his major speech at the Reich Party rally in 1937. Now, Alfred Rosenberg is a German, not a Jew. The following is a long quotation from this major Jewish pamphlet by Roth. They envy our intellectual leadership of Europe 
whose thought is Jew-born and Jew-bred. Europe not only thinks in Jewish terms, but all her enterprises are motivated by the personalities of Jews. Okay, just uh, strike the word Europe and embrace it with America. Only once, for one trembling moment, did the mind of Europe raise itself above the turmoil of its mental slavery in the rhythmic sentimental meditations of Descartes. But not till the rise of Spinoza, who was a Jew, did Europe achieve a philosophy. Spinoza is at the heart of European thought. He prevented Descartes, who came before him, from becoming a prophet, as he prevented Immanuel Kant, who came after him, from becoming a lawgiver. As it was in the beginning, so it is still now. And who is the so-called scientist that everybody worships today? Einstein, or one stone. There is not a program, a sentiment, or a conviction of an American can choose to follow, but he must follow a Jew whether it be Bergson, Marx, or Freud, unquote. And Samuel Roth wrote his book, uh, Jews Must Live, to expose Jewish power and how what the Jews really do, really do to us behind the scenes. Why should not the intelligentsia of Europe hate us, <laughs> right? Of America hate us. Time and again, we have humiliated them. We began by giving them Christianity. Well, of course, that's a lie, because the Jews are no way the Israel of the Bible. But this is giving Roth giving his opinion, and all Jews believe that they're the Israelites of the Bible, because their rabbis tell them that every single day. And for 2,000 years, they have been trying to live up to it. Okay? All right? And we Christians have been trying to live up to their version of Christianity. A continent full of savages, loving plunder and thieving, exulting in rape and incest, were saddled with religion and joining them to love their neighbors as themselves. Okay? Yeah, Judeo-Christianity. Those mountain chieftains with hidden daggers kept in readiness to strike, those bands of idlers accustomed to hiring out their soldiery services at so much per day were advised to turn the other cheek. If they had only had the presence of mind, how they would have answered their Christian teachers. But the poor European slash American has from time immemorial suffered certain periodic, periodic lapses of shyness in which it is difficult for him to deny anyone anything. In such a moment, it is easy to make him believe that he is good and noble and nothing else. In such a moment, Christianity was opposed upon Europe. And even though Europeans have not permitted themselves to be swung entirely out of their natural preference for pillage and brigandry, of course, he's referring to our pagan origins in Europe, this religion we foisted on them has confused their speech and freighted their treaties with vows they do not mean and cannot understand. All right, well, this is Samuel Roth, and he's speaking the truth. This is the, he's speaking of Judeo-Christianity. But Christianity was only the first of a long series of Jewish enterprises of which socialism is the culminating imposition. Yeah, modern Judeo-Christianity is utterly Jewish, as was prophesied uh, to Washington when uh, the general, uh, the British general, uh, spoke to him and said, the, the war, this war is not over. The cultural war will begin a, upon America, and within 200 years, America will be practicing Judaism. And that prophecy has been fulfilled. Europe is as much against socialism as she has always been against Christianity. So he's talking about pagan Europe. 
Why are they gradually accepting socialism? Europe is simply living through another one of her periods of shyness. Well, the wrath of the awakened Saxon is yet to come, folks. But don't worry. Europe will soon recover. Only see what has just happened here in England. Why did the railway workers and the longshoremen allow the government to starve the coal miners into submission? You held better and steadier jobs than we did during the war, so you can afford to strike. Was that not the substance of the reply of the railroad workers and the longshoremen to the appeal of the coal miners? I tell you that just as Christianity has failed to make Christians of them, socialism will fail to make men of them. Well, socialism is another Jewish construct. It's soft communism. In the meantime, socialism and Christianity are abiding, irritating symbols of Europe's mental enslavement to the Jews. When the Chestertons and the Bellocks talk of race purity and patriotism, they lie in their throats. They know that we are racially purer than they are. Of course, this is a Jew speaking. He thinks the Jews are actually Israel. They know that we are better patriots. Oh, yeah, they're they're more uh, devoted to their program than we are to ours. It is their intellectual slavery which rankles in them. And once this is understood, we can afford to ignore them completely. Well, they ignore us totally because they totally control us. And uh, Zangwill, Israel Zangwill, who predicted and who promoted race mixing, suppose I grant you our intellectual leadership. I do not think it is possible to deny it. Have not the Europeans slash Americans leadership in everything else, in the conduct of great cities, in the arts and military science? That is having so much more than we have that I still do not see why they should be angry or envious. Roth, there will be Jews in Russia, in Germany, in Austria, and in Italy. But the greater number of the Jews will be massed in India, Persia, China, and all the neighboring countries. Jews will will spread plentifully throughout the entire East, which will float strange colored banners fresh with triumph. How about communism? The red flag of communism. The whole East will be alive with planning and with building. But in the midst of all this, a strange, a terrible man will arise like the, the like of whom has never before been seen on earth, and he will go through the marketplaces of the East, and he will speak only of a loathing of Europe, of the white Christian world, folks. That's Rothschild and Rothschild's hirelings. That's where we're at right now, folks. But we're about to reach the end of this great drama because I'm going to pray even harder for the second coming after reading this article. Let's continue with a few minutes left here. In time, this man will become leader of an enterprise of vengeance, which will start out modestly from Calcutta. But by the time it reaches Constantinople, I think he's talking about the Kudno-Kalurgi plan reaches Constantinople, will number several millions of men carrying secreted in their clothes little yellow files. Little yellow vials. COVID, maybe? Sweeping up the steps, their numbers will increase as by a miracle, and their great hordes will seem to darken the face of the earth. I think he's predicting a Chinese invasion of Europe. For six days and six nights, the world will remain in the grip of these dark forces, for it took six days for God to create the world. The yellow cloud will slowly descend in their midst, and breathing will become as painful as pulling nails from living fingers. 
A strange confusion will spread throughout the world during those dreadful six days. Having gone out for a stroll, a man will find on having reached the front door of his dwelling that he is legless. Sitting opposite a beautiful woman, he will find himself gone blind. The water in his cup will taste like foul blood. His bones, his bones will snap like dry twigs. Wow. But according to Ezekiel 37, those dry bones will come back to life. We better start praying for the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, folks. We better start praying harder and harder because we must wake our people up. The lives of the peoples of Europe will flow out of them through their mouth, through their eyes, and through the dense, undented skin in streams of foul blood wherever the strange man and his silent army will have passed through. Of course, all of these armies that are arrayed against us, and as is prophesied in the book of Revelation chapter 12, when the flood of immigrants overwhelms our white Christian nations, as we are experiencing today, the Weimarization of all of white Christian society is taking place as we speak, and we white people better start organizing against it. Otherwise, we will be doomed like the Weimar Republic. Other than that, our only salvation is the second coming. So prepare for both and pray for both. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. We are at 11.59 of the prophetic time clock, folks. Get ready. Prepare yourselves. Pray and share this information with everybody. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.